1: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Ezekiel.
0: Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise.
2: Jesus wants to set you free. That's why in Romans 8.1, Paul writes, There's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The law of the Spirit of the life of Christ has set me free from the law of sin and death. There's freedom in knowing Him, in having a relationship with your Creator. The guilt and the shame lifted, the heavy weight, the crushing burden of our sin paid for by Christ on the cross. And this is what God wants for us.
1: Jesus came to earth to live a life as a perfect man and to suffer death as a sacrifice for your sins. He made a way for you to access the Father and receive eternal life. Today, Pastor Gary is going to encourage you to remember that it's through Jesus that you can always find forgiveness for any sin you've fallen into, no matter how far you've gone. To be fully restored and freed from the weight of your sin, All you have to do is turn again to God and let Him do His work in you like only He can. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Ezekiel chapter 33 as he continues his message Losing Soon Weight.
2: Aren't you glad that Your sins were not recorded in the Bible for people to read about thousands of years later. But that's the situation with David, and and God exposes his life for our benefit. And one of the things that's beneficial for us to understand about his own sinful choices was that he illustrates exactly what we're reading here. He wrote in the Psalms about the heaviness of his heart when he lived with unconfessed sin when he hadn't repented of this affair with Bathsheba, and he felt like nobody really knew, and everything was copacetic because it was kind of hidden, and it didn't hurt anybody else, so he thought. And yet the fact is that God always sees, and God always knows, and God's heart always breaks. And because of his love for us, he'll never let us remain the way we are, and he'll start to put the squeeze on us. And David started feeling the squeeze of God, and he wrote in the Psalms about the heaviness that he started to feel. For example, in Psalm 32, verses 1 to 4, David said this, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, not covered up, but basically covered over by the Lord. He said, blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, he writes here, my bones grew old. Through my groaning all the day long, for day and night, your hand, Lord, was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. He writes there very honestly about how when I had unconfessed sin in my life, and I kept silent before God, I just felt the heaviness upon me. God's heavy hand. I felt like the drought of summer, like I was living in an arid wasteland, like, you know, things in my life were just really dry and unfruitful. He would write similarly in Psalm chapter 38, verses thirty and 4, he says, there is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones because of my sin, for my iniquities have gone over my head. New King James says, NIV says, my guilt has overwhelmed me. It's the idea of being like you're drowning and it just is overwhelming. And he describes the overwhelming feeling of just living in unconfessed sin. And he adds like a heavy burden. This is Psalm 38 verse four, like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. And so this is the kind of thing that the Jewish people are feeling here. Now, finally in Babylon, they're finally coming to terms with their own sinful heart. Now, The primary sin of the Jewish people living in captivity has been up to this point, not the only sin, but the primary sin has been idolatry. That they had been carving images out of wood and fashioning images out of metal and literally bowing down to them, worshiping them as gods. And they did this for 400 years. Before they're sent into captivity, God had put up with their idolatry for 400 years. Years this had been going on where they adopt the gods of the nations around them, start carving little statues, little idols, worshiping them instead of the true and living God. He's been putting out with this for 400 years. Now, the reason I point this out is because sometimes people have this view of God like he's this really angry God. Like god's a vengeful God. One small move and God's going to swat you like a bug. And people have this idea of God. Let me tell you something. When people talk like that to me, they say, you know, isn't God just quick to punish and judge? And he's just vengeful. He's an angry God. I want to say to them, listen, how long would you be tolerant of someone who constantly cheated on you? Probably not 400 years. I mean, I'm guessing, but probably not 400 years. All right. How patient does God have to be with us? He was patient for 400 years with his own people. And he sends them off to captivity to purge them of their idolatry. And even after putting up with all of this nonsense for 400 years, he sends them off on a timeout so that he can take them back. Because he takes us back time and time again. How many times have we been unfaithful to God and he has always still been faithful to us? This is the nature of our Father in heaven. He's not quick to bring justice. He's not swift with vengeance. He is patient with us. Not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance, 2 Peter 3.9. This is the long-suffering nature of our Father. So when you think about what's happening here in other places in the Bible... Don't rush to the conclusion that God is just quick to express his vengeance. He's a very patient God, a very loving God, and he's dealing with his own people over this primary sin of idolatry. Psalm 115 describes the foolishness of their idolatry with these words. It says, "...that they had turned to idols of silver and gold made by the hands of men, that these idols have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but they cannot see." They have ears, but they cannot hear, noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but cannot feel, feet, but they cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. In other words, if you are doing such a foolish thing, you're going to end up just as foolish as those mute idols. And then the psalmist adds later in Psalm 115 verse 9, O house of Israel, trust in the Lord. He is your help and shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is your help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is your help and shield. You know, it's a sad thing if you're worshiping a God that you can carry under your arm. Isn't that a sad thing? That's what they were doing. They were carving these images and putting them under their arms and transporting them around. And what good are those little gods? They're not going to save you. They have mouths where they cannot speak. They have hands, but they cannot feel, they have feet, they can't walk, they can't do a thing for you. But this was their sin, and this is what they had turned to for hundreds of years. And so God sends them off to captivity. He takes them away from their comfort zone, if you will. He removes them from their land. The temple gets destroyed. And you know how it is that when you have everything precious to you stripped away, you finally turn to God. And that's what happened. So they had everything precious to them stripped away. The temple, their homeland, their families, everything. When they were taken captive to Babylon, often families were separated because the Bible talks about weeping in Ramah. Ramah was the point north from Israel where they then went over to Babylon where children were separated from their mothers. You get over to Babylon and you have lost everything and everything's foreign to you and uncommon to you. You're going to finally probably turn to God. That's usually what happens with us. When God gets us to the place where all these other things have been stripped away and we have nowhere else to turn except to Him, then that's finally when we come to our senses and find His loving, compassionate forgiveness waiting for us. And that's what happens here in our story. It takes them 12 years, but they finally begin to melt. And they begin to turn to God. And when they turn to God, here's what happens. They come to the awareness of the crushing weight of their sin. And under the crushing weight of their sin, they are experiencing guilt and shame for what they've done. You know, guilt and shame aren't the problem. Guilt and shame are just the symptoms of the larger problem. The larger problem that affects all of us is sin. When we break the heart of God because we dishonor him or disobey him. When we're not right with God, we sin. Now, we're all sinners. The Bible makes it clear. There's none righteous, no, not one. When we feel guilt and shame, the guilt and shame is the result of our sin. People who try to just remedy the guilt problem are never really dealing with the root issue. There's a lot of people in our culture today who aren't aware of why they feel so guilty, why they feel so ashamed. And so they medicate or they counsel. They try to do a lot of things to alleviate the guilt and the shame. If they never get to the real root issue, which is the sin issue, then they can never be free from the guilt and the shame. See how that works. And so it's tragic for people who don't understand this. And if you're here today and you don't understand the correlation between guilt and shame and sin, I hope you do before you leave here today, because God wants to relieve you, not of the guilt and shame by itself, but of the sin issue, so that then the accompanying guilt and shame can be relieved as well. The people here are saying, if you notice what we read in verses 10 and 11 from Ezekiel 33, when they come to grips with the weight of their sin, it's so crushing that they say, we don't know if we can survive this. That's literally what they say. We don't know if we can survive this. New King James says, how then can we live? Now, if you think those words are dramatic, that's because you've never been in a real dark valley of sin. Because if you've ever experienced a really, really dark valley of sin, and you know you've been disobedient to God, and you feel that separation of that relationship or that connection to God because you've been in this deep valley of sin, unrepentant, unconfessed sin, you know how despairing that can be. And if you don't turn to God, it can be so crippling that here's what begins to happen. You begin to either think that God's so upset with you, you're going to die, or you're so upset with yourself that you want to die or both. And please understand the enemy would love for you to die under the weight of guilt and shame. Satan loves that. Because he's all about condemnation. He's all about heaping more guilt, more shame, so that then you would want to die under the weight of guilt and shame. That's his M.O. And let me tell you something. No doubt people die every day at their own hand because of guilt and shame, because of something that they've done. And my friends, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Because you see, God so loved the world. He sent Christ to die for us. So that our sin problem could be dealt with on the cross so that by trusting what Jesus did for us and receiving forgiveness of our sins, the guilt and the shame are relieved along with the sin. So that we might live. We might be free. And this is what God wants for people. He wants people to be free. He wants people to be free from the shame and the guilt. He wants people. That's why he says, turn then. He goes, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Turn then that you might live. Why should you die, O house of Israel? In other words, why? Why should you succumb? Listen to me on this. There's a big difference between condemnation, which is the tool of the enemy, and conviction, which is the tool of the Holy Spirit. There's a big difference between those two things condemnation is an effort of the enemy to keep you constantly under the weight of your guilt. Conviction by the Holy Spirit, on the other hand, is where God brings you to a place of surrender so that you can give him the shame and guilt of your sin. So that he can take it from you, that you might be free. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. There are too many people walking around today under a heavy load of guilt and shame because of the sin problem. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus wants to set you free. That's why in Romans 8.1, Paul writes, there's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. But the law of the Spirit of the life of Christ has set me free from the law of sin and death. There's freedom. In knowing Him, in having a relationship with your Creator, the guilt and the shame lifted, the heavy weight, the crushing burden of our sin paid for by Christ on the cross. And this is what God wants for us because He is for you. He's not against you. He's for you. Someone who's against you does not send His only Son to die for you. Jesus died for us. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated His own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And as I quoted earlier, 2 Peter 3.9, God is patient, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Why? Because God is for you. That's why He says here, turn, turn from your evil ways. If you're taking notes, the way to lose the weight of sin is to turn from the way of sin and turn toward God. That's what He wanted for His people. That's what He wants for us. The way to lose the weight of sin of sin. If you're here today and you're carrying around guilt and shame and this unconfessed sin, you're going to have an opportunity to really get right with the Lord today and just let him take all that from you. But you have to turn from the way of sin and turn towards God. This is basically what Jesus meant in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30, when he invites people to come to him. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest For your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let me put the verse up there for you. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, they were an agrarian Society. They were a farming community. So they understood the terminology of this verse. What Jesus is talking about, the idea of being yoked, what does he mean when he talks about yoke? Because this is an agrarian term. And so for the sake of you millennial Washington suburbanites who like soy lattes and skinny jeans and have never been on a farm, <laughs> he does not mean yoke, Y-O-L-K. All right? What he means is the yolk, yoke, Y-O-K-E, where oxen would be yoked together. Now, typically in that day, here's what they would do. They would yoke together an older, stronger, larger ox with a smaller, younger, weaker ox. They would be harnessed together. This is the language that Jesus is using there in Matthew 11. And what he's talking about here is the idea that when an older, stronger oxen was linked to a smaller, weaker oxen, it would be for two reasons. The smaller ox would learn from the stronger, older one. And in addition, the older, stronger, bigger ox would carry the weight of the burden because he was larger. And so the younger one, the smaller one, would just kind of be going along for the journey, learning. But the weight of the burden would not be so much on the smaller, younger ox because the larger, stronger one was doing the lion's share, if you will, of hauling the weight. Now, Jesus uses this terminology in Matthew chapter 11, and he's talking about how the invitation is, come to me, he says. In other words, have relationship with me. Be a follower of mine. Come to me, all you who are weary and burden, listen to that, He says, and I will give you rest. Now, what burden is he talking about? Well, you read different commentaries, and some people say it means the burden of the law. And it could be. I mean, Jesus did condemn the religious leaders of the day because he said you do heap heavy burdens upon men's shoulders by just making them think that the law was the sole way to get to God. The law was not the way to get to God. The law was a mirror to point out your sin so that you would cry out for a savior in order to get to God. That's what Jesus comes later to fulfill, the ultimate aspect of the law. We understand the righteous standard of God by looking at the law and The moral code of the law is still intact, but Jesus comes as a savior because God understands that the law was never intended to save us. The law was intended to be a mirror to show us our sin nature so we would cry out for a savior. But the problem is the religious leaders of Jesus' day were saying, all you have to do is try to keep all the letters of the law, and then you'll be good to go, and God will love you. Who can do that? Nobody can do that. So it could be that Jesus is talking about, you know, I've come to lighten the load of the burden of the law. It could mean, in general, that he's come to lighten the burden of life in general. I mean, all of us go through things in life, and it's good to know that when you're harnessed to Jesus, uh, the burdens of life are easier. But I think that probably the third reason is, those first two are valid, but I think the third reason is probably the greater point Jesus is trying to make, and he's talking about the burden of sin. Because he says, if you come to me, and if you're yoked with me, if you have a relationship with me, you will find rest for your souls, you see. You will find rest for your souls. And all of us need rest for our souls. We all need to be at a place where we're at peace with ourselves and at peace with God. And as long as we're carrying around the weight of the sin and the shame and the guilt, we're not at rest. We're burdened. Jesus says, if you come to me, You'll find rest for your souls. I've died, in effect is what he's saying to us, to lighten the load, to take the weight of your sins and the guilt and the shame that accompany that and to make you free. To make you free. Now, I want to illustrate this today and and I'm going to need somebody to help me illustrate this. So I need a young man. I need a guy like 20-something or I need a high school guy. Who wants to volunteer? I need somebody to come on up. Don't be embarrassed. Don't fight over it. I'm not going to hurt you. Come on. Who wants to be? 20-something guy. There you go. Come on up here. Let's give a hand to this guy right here. Come on up. Thank you, man. Come stand over here. All uh, right, what's your name? I'm Cougar. Cougar. What a great name. That's my real name. Yeah, that is your real name. That is awesome. It's a manly name. There's no girl I know named Cougar. All right. Here's what I need. I mean, you know, there's... There's some Cougars out there, but nobody with a name, Cougar. All right, now. All right, there we go. I thought I was going to need your help, Cougar. All right. I want you to hold this bucket. All right, step away from it just a little bit, and I want you to hold this out. Cougar here, that's such a great name. I just I'm loving this. Jaguar here is uh, represents all of us. All right? And the bucket that he's holding represents our different sins, all right, that we carry around. And in this bucket, I've got a few rocks that represent the different sins. Okay? For example, what's this one say, Cougar? Unforgiveness. 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 Sorry. It it went around the side of the rock. Unforgiveness. That's going in the bucket. Yeah. Have you had surgery on that arm? No. Oh, all right. Then no. This is my illustration. Be quiet. All right. Now. Alright, you can talk. What's the next one? Lust. Lust. We're gonna put that in the bucket. You doing alright over there? He can't speak. Alright. Pride. By the way, as I'm going through these, you might recognize some of your own. <laughs> just you know. <laughs> I'm just saying. Breaking oaths. How about this one? Greed. Greed. You doing alright? Alright. Doing okay? Alright, here we go. Hatred. All right, you're going to start to feel this one, rage. Ready? There you go. You're doing all right? Okay. How about, here we go, stealing sexual sin. Here's a couple more. Yeah, those that's are big. Yeah, that's the breaker. All right. All right, give them a hand. Give them a hand. Now, hold them both like this. There you go. All right, now, I got a few more here in the bucket. Don't go away yet. Gossiping, lying, drunkenness. We're going to throw these in the bucket. And uh, what else do we have? We have murder and envy, all right? Just a few more to top it off. All right, now, this represents all of us right here, okay? Now, this is what Jesus came to do. Go ahead, give it to me. This is what he came to do. He came to take this. This is what Jesus came to do. He came to take our buckets that weigh us down with guilt and shame. Thank you, Cougar. Give him a hand. Listen to me. Listen to me, everybody. Some of you came in here with heavy buckets that have weighed you down, the shame and the guilt, the crushing weight of sin. This is why Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm gonna give you the opportunity today to just kind of let Jesus take your bucket and to feel free when you leave here today. There's no reason why you need to leave way down the same way you might have come in here. And so for the sake of anybody here who wants to just receive Christ today and be free. All and ocean, jump in and you'll
1: find the cornerstones Your connection run towards your new life The radio broadcast of Cornerstone Connection comes to you from Cornerstone Chapel, located in Leesburg, Virginia. You heard Pastor Gary teach from the book of Ezekiel, one of the many prophets in Old Testament times. This book gives us a good glimpse of the seriousness of sin to God. We have a tendency to minimize the severity of sin in our lives, but not so with God. He wants us to recognize sin for the evil it is. Maybe like me, you've found yourself believing that sin is no big deal or that some sin is worse than others. Sin is sin in God's eyes. And when we refuse to address the sin present in our own hearts, He, as our righteous judge and authority, will deal with our sin according to His perfect wisdom. Friends, let's us confess our sin and turn to Jesus. Did you enjoy today's message? We hope so. Be sure to take the time to hear more messages from Pastor Gary. Head over to cornerstoneconnection.cc to get started. While you're there, check out our companion resources. These digital study guides are meant to give you even more insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done and are available free of charge to you. Don't miss out on this amazing resource to dive deeper into God's Word. Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection.
0: Got no place to go, but still you know but Still you know you're not alone.